Welcome back to Perspective, a space to hear all sides of every story. I'm Pragya. And I'm Dory. And today we're joined by Audrey Weersakti and Anthony Ahn, high school students from Kentucky and New York, for the first episode of our A Price to Pay series. Today we're going to be speaking on the incredibly relevant topic of anti-Asian American hate crimes and discrimination in our country. Anti-Asian hate crimes have risen 150% since the pandemic began. That is not normal. And today we're centering students in the conversation on how we often find ourselves going about rushing back to a normalcy where this statistic was all too familiar. Well, I hope you all are having a good Saturday morning. Um, It's been a long week, but... If we just want to go around and do some intros, Audrey, we can start with you, just your name, where you're from, what you've been up to these days. All right. Hi, I'm Audrey Rasakti. I'm 17 years old. I'm from here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, What I've been up to lately, Uh, homework, uh, school, and yeah. Yeah, so I'm Anthony. Uh, I'm from Manlius, New York, and yeah. Also, haven't been up to much school, studying for APs, yeah. Sounds like so much fun. Um, We are both, we're super excited to have you both on. Obviously, we know that today's topic is really important, but also one that we wish we wouldn't have to have a discussion on. Um, I guess it doesn't even feel like there's a specific question to ask because there's so much itself to talk about. Um, Obviously, I'm sure you all are aware as well of the drastic rise in hate crimes and just broad discrimination against Asian Americans in this country. Um, And to me, like, I always think about it whenever I hear of something like this on the news any morning. It's like, I always ask why. Why are things like this happening? Why are we seeing so many mass shootings? Why are we seeing so much hate? And that's a big question, right? Like, I don't think there's a single answer to that. And so I'm curious to know, because, you know, obviously you all are young people too, and our thought processes are likely very different, but when it deals with personal experience and things that affect people that look like you, um, it hits different. And I think you start to think about the whole thing way differently than you would if it didn't. Um, I guess, Anthony, we can start with you for this. And then Audrey, feel free to chime in whenever. that back to that question of like why is this happening i'm wondering if you to you does it feel like there's a direct source or like a trigger that's led to these increased asian american hate crimes well yeah i think there are a few things so sure there has been like a drastic increase so that's also partially because of uh 19 so you know, the whole thing with it originating in China. So everyone's blaming it on the Chinese, especially after uh, Donald Trump started calling it the Chinese virus and whatnot. Uh, So that also contributed to it. But also I think that it has been a problem for a long time. So kind of the idea of Asians being labeled as forever foreigners. So it's not just in like something that's new or something that's like just coming up. It's been there for a while, but it has been getting more and more serious. Yeah, and I have the completely same thoughts as Anthony, because like, 
you see a lot in the media, people will source this as like hate against um, Asian Americans because of the coronavirus, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But like those same media outlets are the same ones that like constantly bring up news articles about like China's doing this, China's doing that, North Korea. They're always bringing up negative news in Asia that's targeting Americans. And it's a history of like racism in this country and like against Asian Americans and against Asians that were always foreigners in this country. Even when we're born here, whether we immigrate at a young age, immigrate at an old age, we're always seen as foreigners because we've held like this strong tie to our heritage, a strong tie to our um, culture and we didn't assimilate fully into America. But even if like we assimilate fully in our culture, we're still seen as foreigners because of the way we look and that we're always targeted that way. I, I really like when you bring up the like idea of news because I mean think if you think about it today like how much of our lives is dictated by what we see on the news right so much of it and so when you constantly see people and news outlets you know painting this picture to someone that doesn't know much about what's going on in the world or you know just an average citizen that may not be aware of what the circumstance looks like on the other side of the globe of course they're going to go by what they see on the news right and so and I totally feel you on that, Audrey, because I think obviously as an Asian American too, it's like, it, it doesn't feel good when you see things on the news about your country that doesn't feel like it's a true or accurate representation of what you see there. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that you have such a good point when you say that that is what dictates so much of what we see in the world today, especially as it relates to this discrimination and hate crimes that have just been increasing. Yeah, and like that's why like representation is so important. And it's like it's going back to this topic about representation, right? And like it's not just us how we view ourselves and seeing ourselves in media, but it's how other people view us. It's how other people see us in media. You see the constantly like people that are like Arab, half Middle Eastern heritage are always playing like vi- always playing like villains in movies, especially about like terrorism, military. But like it's painting this picture about terrorism in. Um, America too into Americans and like when you see like um, Asian people always playing foreigners always playing like a nerd some like scientists like it paints the same picture to Americans that we're not just like normal people and like seeing like Asian American representation in media is so important like seeing like us and um, to all the boys um, I loved or like seeing us in like um, Kim's convenience store fresh off the boat like those are important like representations of us and paintings of us seeing that we're normal people and like the struggle to assimilate and like show people that we're American even though we don't have to prove it ourselves we don't have to prove it to anyone yeah I think that's very important and when you bring up the idea of these foreigner and how you know Asian I mean American media paints Asians as such these sliver of what they actually are and what they actually could be it really takes it back to the discrimination deep rooted in the policies of America and so Anthony if you want to um, speak a little bit more about that going off of what Audrey said with representation in the media and the discrimination how this connects with how discrimination can turn into hate crimes and you know such aspects after the fact right so um at the beginning of the pandemic and also 
pretty recently. A lot of news like media outlets didn't really cover Asian hate crimes. And I remember seeing this one NBC article, I think it was, uh, and it said like, we need to be careful with how we label hate crimes because they were saying Asian hate crimes aren't necessarily racially motivated, which is very frustrating for me to hear because I'm an Asian American and that's just upsetting, I guess. And uh, I just kind of think in general, we're always painted as the other, I guess, kind of. So a lot of stereotypes are put upon us. And even going back in history, like uh, Japanese internment camps in World War II, uh, kind of, there weren't really any German or Italian internment camps, they were just Japanese, right? So kind of like the idea of othering, I guess, Asian Americans in general. All right, so like, I think that the building of like hate crime, building up to like hate crimes in America is a product of like discrimination and racism towards Asian being normalized in our society. And like in American culture, it's just, no one talks about it. No one thinks anything of it. When you make like small jokes about like, just offensive things about like the way we look or the way or the food that we eat and it just builds up that like oh it's okay if we like make fun of them because they are the other like Anthony was saying like we're always treating us the foreigners like like um it's almost seen as like a price to pay to be in America is the racism that we face and you see here like our parents will say that sometimes like immigrant parents will say that like when they face discrimination or racism like that's the price that we pay coming here for the opportunities that we want and that we're trying to access, like we have to pay that price. Audrey, I that was so perfect because first of all, like a price to pay is such a great way to paint that because I'm sure so many other Asian Americans, you know, any minority in general could probably relate to that title. Um, you know, we often like, once again, going back to that painting a picture of America as a country where of opportunity and where you could, you know, you have the potential to have such a prosperous life, but that also comes at a very detrimental cost for so many people. Um, It's never that black or white situation where it's like, I'm coming from a country of oppression and um, of, you know, a lack of resources and and things like that. And I'm going to a country of, you know, perfection and things like that. That's never what it is. And so I'm almost thankful that we're in this moment of like, let's reckon with this. Let's think about what's going on and do something about it because, um, Well, I mean, I guess for me, it's like the way I think about it is like we spend so much time, we see so much of this, but how much do we actually do about it, right? And so, Anthony, I think you brought up a a really good point earlier, and I think both of you all have kind of been talking about this as well. Um, When we say that, like, the picture that Asian Americans are painted as, I feel like that has a word. And to me, that's model minority, right? We, when we think about what it means to be a minority. It's very different when people talk about minorities such as African-Americans or, you know, women or, you know, people that have historically in America been oppressed. Um, But when you look at immigration, it's a very different perspective. So the dictionary definition of model minority, just for context, for those who may not know, is basically just a minority demographic whose members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of social economic success than the population average, thus serving as a reference group to out groups. Um, And so basically what that means is that like whenever 
a lot of times the perspective is that when Asian Americans come, uh, when Asians come to America, you know, for whatever reason, um, a lot of times it's for their education or for jobs or things like that. Um, that's at least how my parents' story played out. And so I think that line of that, that storyline is almost what results in the hate crimes that we see today, because it's like, um, we learned about this in like AP human geography last year or two years ago. Uh, it's almost like brain drain where there's, you know, people coming from other countries to this country, um, to get a better education, to learn more, to make, you know, to create America into a country that has, you know, a certain standing in the world today. Um, and, and just build back better on that front. But obviously that's not necessarily what we're seeing. Um, and so that was really long-winded. I guess all that to say that model minority is almost the title that I would give this whole conversation because it's, to me, it means that, you know, Asian American hate crimes are not new. It's not something that's, you know, started as a result of the pandemic. Um, obviously, like Anthony was saying, it's been very long standing and, and it's been long awaited to have this conversation. So I guess switching gears kind of, um, and not necessarily switching gears, but kind of framing it in a different way, Audrey or Anthony, whoever has a perspective on this, obviously like there are questions looming about whether hate crime laws can even effectively address acts of prejudice against certain marginalized groups. Um, particularly Asian Americans, because a lot of times, you know, you think about this past summer was the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, how many Asian Americans did you see at the front lines of those of those protests and things like that? So there's so many questions to ask, but I'm curious to hear what you all have to say. If Audrey, you want to start and then Anthony wants to chime in. Yeah, and it's like, this is going a bit to the model minority thing. When you said a lot of, a lot of our parents came here for economic opportunities, for educational opportunities. In my case, my parents did come for the opportunities, but they also came to escape um, oppression in Indonesia. Because there's a picture that this doesn't happen and that we're not facing it, even in our, like, like where our families are from. So like my family's Chinese Indonesian and we're Catholic. Those are both minorities in Indonesia. And they came here because they want because they had this picture that if we went to America, we won't face that kind of racism. And now we're going through this moment where we see that it's 100% not true. And it's really ironic that we're here now. And, but I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be having this conversation about modern minorities because it's always, it's great to see this picture of us painted that we're like successful. It's great to see that representation, but it's it's looking away from our struggles and it's ignoring our struggles, how far we how far we got to get here and how hard we have worked, our parents have worked and that we have worked, the racism that we faced ourselves. It's not shown in the media. People don't talk about it enough. The, the sacrifices our parents make working long hours, working odd jobs. And I wish people knew that more when they thought about us, when they looked at us that we worked really hard to get here. It wasn't just, we're not just here for the educational and economic opportunities because those are great, but we also here because of push factors from our own countries as well. Right, so kind of going on with that, with the whole idea of the model minority kind of, uh, because of like, it's assumed that Asian Americans have some sort of a, 
privilege, like a class privilege, and they just have like a really high uh, economic status and like a really good education. It's it's just assumed that nowadays, and because of that, I think a lot of what people think, like the discrimination and racism that Asian Americans face, I feel like a lot of people assume that it's not legitimate because uh, they have such a high status and whatnot. But also it uh, kind of erases really interpersonal violence, I guess, that we see today, like, even just like the day-to-day -day things that we face and not the ones that get reported or the ones that don't get filmed. Like, just because it's not filmed doesn't mean it didn't happen, right? So I think a lot of uh, racism, I guess, is ignored because of that model minority myth. And I think that's really interesting, something both of you all touched on, and something we've actually discussed on the podcast before is this mask that, you know, in most cases, you know, we paint a mask on ourselves or we like wear this, you know, covering that others don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But I think this is definitely like switched roles because America paints this mask over you know, Asians and really any minority, and they put this front on and we, you know, depict Asians in media, in the media and in arts and in movies and shows and all these things as these, you know, model people, as these intelligent, as these beautiful people. And it's really to just cover up what's happening behind the scenes. And it's really to just paint America as this, you know, ideal place when in reality, it's nothing of the type. And so I really want to connect that with how, you know, you all have more personal experiences with this and how this affects you um, and your, you know, relations with, you know, maybe our country and maybe the people around you. How does this affect you, like hate crimes, seeing, um, you know, Asians discriminated against and violence against Asians in the media and in um, the news every day. It's something we see quite often, but how does this really affect you? Audrey, if you wanna speak on this first. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard for a while when I saw when the Atlanta shooting happened, one of the victim's sons had um, posted on Instagram and it was like this long paragraph about like how he felt and how sad he was about his mother's death. And it hit me so hard. I was in the past when I saw that. And I remember getting so anxious because my mom told me she was going to go to a doctor's appointment that day. And I just remember like texting my mom in the middle of class, like, are you okay? So I was scared about her for her. And like, we haven't seen a lot of like, violent racism here in our own hometown. But like, when you see it all the time, in the news, you get anxious. You keep thinking about my brother, my family, my friends even, and how devastating that would be if it was me and then the, the family and how I would feel. So it's really sad to see like my peers going through the same thing, people of my community going through that same thing. Yeah, Anthony, if you have anything to add on how that affects you. All right, so I have to agree with that. So. Uh, seeing all this is really upsetting and it's horrible because like I feel like I have to worry about a lot of things that I didn't have to worry about earlier so like uh, my sister's going to college and like I don't know sometimes I'm afraid of like will she be safe and I feel like that's something that I shouldn't have to worry about you know it's it's something 
that makes me feel like, why do I have to worry about this kind of thing when other people don't have to? And even kind of like the education area, so like kind of racism isn't really taught, like we're not taught as kids what racism is. It just kind of develops through what we see, right? And it was horrible even to hear like, had like two Asian American children aged two and six at a Sam's Club and I don't think he cared that they were like too young to even understand why he really hated them uh, when he stabbed those two kids did he care if like the children understood why he hated them so much and uh, it's just horrible to see and horrible to have to worry about that kind of thing I think that's so important because I mean, obviously, right, like, the way I think about it is we see this, but what is happening now? Like, what are we going to do about it, right? And, um, I mean, I almost have, like, the same sort of in the, like, best slash worst way possible, like, the same kind of hopelessness that I feel whenever I think about mass shootings as well. Um, Because to me, it's like, you know, we can say all we want. We can have as many conversations as we want. And as much as it is so, I mean, to all of us, it feels so rewarding to be able to have this discussion. It's also important that we're recognizing that it isn't necessarily going to do us any good to be in this space without seeing actual action done. Um, And so I think we've kind of talked about this earlier, how a lot of this, you know, without disguise, without even, you know, we don't even have to bring up politics to say that the last administration detrimentally shifted what Asian Americans look like um, in this country in a metaphorical way as well. I mean, I think obviously the trigger to and from what we've I've heard from you all and just kind of from what I've learned too from watching the news, um, the trigger often felt like it was that perspective of, oh, well, it's the Wuhan virus. It's the Chinese virus. It's, you know, it's, it was that it was the rhetoric that really informed that um attitude and so i think you know obviously that also goes back to and we've had several podcast discussions about this as well that um rhetoric really matters when you are a leader and you know that there are millions of people following your lead you need to act like one and so i think right now for like a lot of us have hope that at least now we're not you know, we have a leader that isn't going to paint us in the same way that we were painted before. But is that, does that mean that we're going to see actual change from what's going on right now? And that's a question I'm asking myself constantly too. And so I guess to kind of pose this as a question to you all as well, um, right now, obviously we've seen a series of memorandums and, you know, Biden referencing the violence that had occurred in several parts of the country recently um, in his first national primetime address. Um, Obviously he's, you know, said that he's going to take action on certain realms of, of, you know, addressing anti-Asian hate crimes and things like that. Um, But it's kind of also allows us to take a step back and recognizing that like the root cause of violence, like Anthony was saying so beautifully, is that it's education, right? How many times have you read in your history book an accurate portrayal of Asian American history of any country, right? Like, you know, we learned so much about 
I mean, honestly, I think there's so much about the world history that we're taught of in America that needs to be addressed, you know, from slavery and, and things like that, that are kind of not necessarily portrayed in the way they need to be. But, you know, you, I remember very clearly thinking back to our AP world history class and our textbooks where we weren't ever taught about much more than, you know, just the surface level of what the history of different countries looked like in in Asia. And so you're never going to understand the experiences that Audrey was talking about the walks of life, unless you know that. And so part of it, I blame on our school systems. And so I think there's just, it could, it could go back and forth is basically what I'm trying to say. There's so much that we could talk about. Um, but I'm curious to hear from both of you all, like, what does it mean to, to fix this? Obviously that's a very broad question, but how do we go about thinking of a plan to put an end to, or at least suppress the amount of hate that's going around in our world, particularly in, in the Asian American community? Anthony, if you want to start. Yeah, sure. So kind of, I guess, understanding that we're all people, we're all human, and kind of just because we're Asian, that doesn't make us different. Uh, personally, I'm Korean, but I was born and raised in America. I'm American. I'm not a foreigner. I'm not someone who wants to be treated differently because of my ethnicity. You know? And I don't think anyone does. And I'm just, it's just kind of frustrating to see so many stereotypes imposed upon us just because the way we look and just because of our ethnicity, things that we can't control. And kind of, even from like a young age, we see that kind of thing. Like a lot of kids would stretch their eyes out and that kind of thing just because they were imitating Asians. And I guess this kind of, if we don't have to live in fear and don't have to be ignored, I guess we need to just be able to address that these issues exist. Because the first step to fixing a problem is addressing that there even is a problem in the first place. And for me, I see this racism against Asians that they don't accept us as Americans, that we're always seen as foreigners because they don't know us. And I think it's just a matter of people in our communities getting to know us better. Because you'll see like, um, oh, I feel so bad, I forgot his name, but there's this, um, there's an African-American um, activist and he talks about mean KKK members because he feels like their hatred towards minorities is because they don't know any minorities. And that spoke so deeply to me that I feel the racism people give to us, the hate people show to us is because they don't know us. And it's once again, like this representation in the media, they were always foreigners that they see those stereotypes and they think, oh, that's the norm. They think, oh, that's what they're like when they see negative stereotypes about us. Or like, even if you watch Mean Girls, if you remember the lunchroom scene, the cafeteria scene, and they show all the different cliques, there's a clique of Asian girls and they're shown as like these snobby rich girls and like they only hang out with each other. And that's another stereotype people have about Asian people that we only hang out with each other. But it's like, it's this circle phenomenon where it's like people don't wanna to get to know us because they don't know what we're like. So we're just going back to our comfort zone is reaching out to one another because we're comfortable already, even though that's not necessarily it. There's, we have a lot more similarities than we have differences. And I wish people would see that because there, we have so many similarities and so many things in common. And 
a lot of the same values as other minorities in this country as well. And like the Malan minority myth is always used to twist against other minorities, against the black community, against the Latina community. Why can't you be like them? But that's not fair to say because our differences, our differences are in different ways or they matter in different ways. We face different forms of discrimination and I wish people would just get to know us better. Just reach out to us, talk to us, um, visit us, talk, to, go to our restaurants, go to our markets, meet us, go to our community meetings, get to know us better. And I think that representation in their day-to-day -day life might help like this whole phenomenon of hate crimes in America. And I also think it's really interesting when you say it is a circle phenomenon. And I think part of that is teaching our kids to know, to meet Asian Americans and to get to know them, like you said, because we tend to be afraid of the unknown. We tend to be afraid of what we don't know. And we tend to be afraid of changing up, like Pragya you know, just said in the chat, how do we break that circle? We tend to be afraid of changing up how we teach our children and how we teach each other. And I think it is, you know, definitely needs to go back to the root of education and because that's where kids learn things. I, you know, have these vivid memories of people at my elementary school, you know, like Anthony said earlier, you know, stretching their eyes out, pretending like they were these Asian Americans. And it was so horrible, like horrible to see and to realize now that I am grown up to look back at that and realize the true depth of that and how kids were being taught that this is how Asian Americans are seen in America. And I think that's really where we, it needs to change. And I think that's where we can break the circle if only we are, you know, more able and more encouraged to take the, act, take the steps, take the actions to break that circle. So um, if either of you have anything to add to that, Anthony, um, especially you on just breaking the circle and where we need to see the change first in America. So kind of as you were saying, I think it all starts with education. If, if we're able to uh, diversify, I guess, the population of a school or something or anything like that, just uh, cultural and ethnic diversity, like if we're able to have these like young kids develop like friendships between different ethnicities, they'll realize maybe they're not all so different, you know, and they'll begin to realize like their similarities and rather than their, their differences. And, you know, if we're able to create this viewpoint from the children's like that, you know, we shouldn't break down the people to, you know, the color of their skin or just their ethnicity, things that they can't control. and if we're, I guess, if we're teaching them what racism is to recognize racism and that kind of thing, they'll be able to better understand, oh, this is racist or, oh, I shouldn't do this. This is offensive. And because I think a lot of the kids who did that kind of thing back in like elementary school, I don't think they truly understood the impact of their actions or what they were actually doing. And I guess, that also kind of just roots from education or lack of education. 
I want to complicate the story a little bit because you all are, are awesome. And I really like how you've framed this in a way where we know that everything that you're talking about is rooted in personal experience. Um, but I want to look at the statistical side of this as well, because numbers don't lie. Um, but I think they can be a little misleading. Isn't necessarily the right word, but it's the one that's coming to mind right now. But I think to me, the way I, the way I kind of think about it is that when we look at statistics, we're more, we're more often to pay attention to statistics than we are individual stories because they're quicker, right? Where we live in that culture of convenience where it's like, we see a statistic and it's striking to us and that's, we want to share it. We want to repost it. We want to talk about it, um, talk about it probably a little bit less, but so anti-Asian hate crimes in 16 of America's largest cities increased 145% in 2020. There were 13, or there were 3,800 anti-Asian racist incidents, mostly against women, which is something that I kind of also want to focus on um, as well. And then anti-Asian hate crimes have spiked over 150% since the pandemic began. Um, then there were obviously a few other organizations like the Stop AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander Hate Reporting Center, um, which received 3,795 reports of anti-Asian racism since March of 2020, which, you know, obviously in the pandemic timeline is obviously the start of that. Um, nearly 45% of them were from California, which goes to talk a lot about more of the demographic diversity in terms of how many Asians live there. So um, the reason why I kind of want to bring in this kind of complicated narrative is because a lot of times when we look at the statistics, we're missing the stories behind them. And that is something that doesn't ever sit well with me because I'm a big education advocate at, whoa, advocate. And, um, I, I was trying to combine like activist and advocate and that just didn't work. Um, but like that stories matter to me and to so many of us, you know, that talk about the, its importance in this work. Um, Anthony, I actually want to start with you for that one, because I think you brought something up earlier when we talk about this rise in hate crime, how, like, what does it mean for us to look at a, a news source and make a, a judgment about it, but not necessarily know why it's happening, who that story belongs to, and and how, like, what implications it has for the future of our country. Um, yeah, so kind of with the statistics, I saw like some statistic on Instagram, like a 1900% increase or something on Asian American hate or violence. But I also think that it's misleading because I think that's also has to do with the 1900% increase in reports of Asian hate. There has been an increase in Asian hate in general, but also there has just been an increase in uh, reporting of it. I think it's important to recognize that it has been there before too. It's not brand new. and kind of, I think that it was interesting how you brought up the demographic of like how 45% of it was in California. So I don't know, that's kind of hard to think about because it's uh, more than like almost half of the increase in Asian hate is in one state. And 
I guess that's kind of shocking to hear. And it's, but it's happening everywhere. And I don't think that's just confined to one state. It's confined to everywhere in general. Racism isn't is a big issue in a lot of countries, not just the United States. It's in Europe. It's here. It's in a lot of other countries near us. And I guess it's. I don't. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Sorry, Audrey can go here. No, because I completely agree with Anthony on there's this, I'm really worried about Asians who aren't reporting these hate crimes. I'm really, really worried about that. When I see the statistics, that always comes to mind because a lot of our parents feel that it's a price to pay. A lot of people feel that it's a price to pay to be here, that the discrimination that we face, big or small, is the price we pay to be here. And I'm really, really worried about how many people are reporting the hate crimes and about like officers taking these hate crimes, police officers specifically, and facing them in a different direction, turning the narrative a different way. You see that with the Atlanta shooting, he was having a bad day. He has, um, he's a sex addict. Like you saw those in the news, he has mental health problems. And it was so easily written over that he had targeted a salon that was known for having Asian women working there and that he shot it up. He killed those women. That was so easily twisted in the media. And I'm so worried about like, like um, Stop APPI Hate is a great resource center. It's an amazing resource center. But the fact that the majority are, the majority of the crimes are in California speaks a little about like, how aware are people of this resource center as well? Me personally, I actually didn't know about the resource center until like last month, to be honest. I actually didn't know about it until like last month. And so it speaks a little about like what representation does for ourselves as well. That um, what if we don't know about these resource centers, about these resources that can't help us, that can't provide this help. Because the racism, big or small, we see a lot of people just, they just write over. And even if ourselves, um, this is kind of a weird reference, but if you've ever seen Hasan Minaj's Homecoming King, he has a scene where he talks about after 9-11, like his, like someone like broke the windows at his house, like some kids in his neighborhood broke the windows at his house. And he was talking to his dad how frustrated he was, like, like this shouldn't be happening to us. He was so angry about it. Why are we the ones being targeted? And his dad just looks at him and goes, that's just how it is. His dad just looks and it's like, that's just how it is. And then that was something that he could have reported to the police and that they could have written as a hate crime or at the very least vandalism, right? but they didn't report it. And it makes me worry because I know that's happened to people that I know where they face discrimination in the workplace specifically, and they just don't report it because they're like, well, you know, I work there. It's not my whole thing. It's okay. It's not a big deal, but that is a big deal because the people who do those actions are going to be repeated offenders towards other people in your community. And I wish that Asians felt like they could go out and tell and go out and report these crimes that happened to them. I wish they felt like that sense of like, not necessarily empowerment, but that they have the right to do so. And that they have a responsibility to do so as well, to report crimes that are happening. I really want to agree with what Audrey just said. And it 
it is also a lot more important and sure seeing these statistics is good and it's important but it's hard to imagine i guess and it's hard to understand if we don't hear the stories of what's happening i don't think these statistics really mean anything like uh, sure we can look at a few numbers and understand i guess oh there's a rise in asian hate crimes but i think if we actually look at the stories we can start to actually understand what's happening rather than just looking at these numbers that are meaningless otherwise i agree with anthony because like if we speak on our personal experiences as well it helps people that are close to us understand that when we talk about um racism when we talk about like the problems that we're facing in the society in this time. It's not just to like people far away who needs to hear it. It's the people close to us, the people in our like hometowns, people in our schools that we want to hear the, our stories. We want you to know what is happening in our own communities. It's like the sense of community I wish people would build. That like, I wish you would hear our stories, hear our voices as well and get to know us, hear these things because it's a lot more impactful hearing and seeing from people you know, people you are familiar with, even if it's just a face you recognize in the hallway, hearing that's a lot more powerful. And like, it's, it was the same thing for me when I, like saw, when I saw the Instagram post that one of the, uh, one of the victims um, in the Atlanta shootings, her son made when she died. Like that was so impactful to see someone my age, I think he's just like a year or two older than me or something. And like, Everything he wrote in that post was exactly how I felt. He, because he talked about like he was so sad his mom would never get to see him graduate. He and his brother, she would never see them graduate, never see her grandkids, and that's exactly how I felt. That same fear that they won't be there in the future. I think that's really powerful how you frame the whole. You know, you never know what it's like until you know what it's like. It's it's like, you know, we hear it from our generation. I think especially. And it's so much more powerful. It's 10 times more powerful when it's someone you know. It's, it's even more powerful when it's someone you love or you connect with on a deeper level. And I think it's the, something that our generation, I keep saying this, but our generation can definitely fix and can definitely take hold of because we are the people who are going to have to change something about this country. And I think it's already, you know, stemmed so much out of the past year and a half. We, we are taking hold of our country and we are taking charge of, you know, sharing at least through our social medias and through, you know, things like this, we share our stories. And I think it's really interesting when you go back to how you all were talking about, you know, the people who do, who, act upon this discrimination and are responsible for these hate crimes in America, they don't know the story either. And I, so I think that's the biggest thing is we need to share the stories to everyone and not necessarily the stories, but like Audrey was saying, the emotions that come along with these stories, because that's what touches people the most. And so I think that's a big thing I just wanted to recognize. And I know Pravya has something to say after that. And I know I lost my train of thought there for a second, but it is something we have to do as this younger generation is share the stories and the emotions that go along with this or else people of other generations or other demographics aren't going to know ever what it feels like. And I think like, I mean, 
we are young, but we have such a big stake in informing what happens. Like, I don't think young people realize their power right now. And I mean, I, I say that as a youth activist, like I genuinely don't think a lot of us recognize how our words and the things that we talk about on social media, um, the accounts that we follow, the things that we listen to, you know, how much of that is informed by the things you hear every single day, um, whether it be on the news or from, you know, wherever. Like to me, it the first step is recognizing that every everything that we do in our lives is going to inform the way this country looks in the future. And I say that because this year with, you know, everything going on with BLM and um, anything that had to do with racism in general in this country, while I was so, you know, heartened to see so many of my own peers talking and, you know, obviously myself as well, talking about what was going on in, in our country, what still is going on, um, I was upset part of the time because I would see portrayals of my own home country of India um, being portrayed very negatively. And, you know, no one's really going to understand that until you are in that situation. That's exactly what Dory was saying earlier. And I, I love that because, and for all of you all that have said that is it's important to know that when we say that we, we invest in um, we feel enriched by the stories that are coming out of these statistics not in a positive way. Obviously, you know, it's not good to hear about things like this, but I feel a lot better knowing that I heard about that person's story than I did about the statistic behind that. I also, I don't feel good. That doesn't mean that I feel good about the way that it's being portrayed. And so we've obviously gone back to the constant, you know, thing about media and things like that. But I really think going back to that point of young people, like the stake that we have in this is so important. And, and that's why it's so important to make sure that your sources are so accurate, right? And a lot of times it means don't post something if you don't know for sure that that's right. Everything you see on social media is not right. Um, actually, times out of 10, it won't be right or it'll be misleading. And, and that's just the way things are because people like to go by its herd mentality, right? You see one friend posting something and now you want to, and then it spreads like wildfire. Um, it's disheartening to see that when you are from a place where you know that's not the way things are. I go to India every single summer, obviously not last summer, but, um, and it, that's not the way things were. And so to me, it was like recognizing that the people that are talking about things like this, the people, the, the news outlets, you know, most of them that are portraying this country the way they are, are never going to know what it's like because they've never been there. They've never lived that. Um, their statistics mean nothing compared to our story. And that's kind of what I think I've got of this discussion, because we know the importance of recognizing that, you know, we've learned what primary sources and secondary sources look like in history classes. And using that to inform what our lives look like is so important um, more now than it ever was before. So super grateful for both of your all's perspective on this. I think you guys are both incredible humans. And um, I just know that all of us, as young people, like it's difficult to have these conversations, but it's so rewarding when you know that, you know, grassroots efforts to do something about this are there, even if it's not at the policy level just yet. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for all of us to be in the White House and making decisions in Congress someday. And um, just, yeah, I'm, I'm so hopeful for this generation. Thank you all so much for 
being willing to have this conversation, being willing to share your opinions. This was a great, this is going to be a great episode. So very thankful for you all. Um, I don't think we have any last minute things to add, Pragya. Do you all have any final remarks? Sorry, I forgot to ask. Um, actually, going back to the thing about like youth, it's I feel like every time people meet us, that we're like a representation to them. I want people to remember that that like when people meet us, that we're representing our identities, that we're representing our communities. When people meet us, they're meeting young people. Uh, when they meet me, they're meeting a young girl. They're meeting an Asian American. And I want to paint the picture in their mind that we're great people, that we're just like every other one else, that we're like, we're all humans. And I don't want like to see like the excuse that like, you know, like in feminism, when um, it's, she's not just a mother, she's not just a daughter, she's a person. And I wish people would see that for everyone, that we're all just people. And when they meet us, I hope they hear our individual stories. I hope they hear our individual experiences because everyone does. And yeah, I hope that this conversation brings out a lot of other people to reach out, to be more open. And I hope people feel like a sense of empowerment to talk about their struggles as well. And going on with like the idea of youth, the importance of teaching our youth the whole issues, I guess, kind of, if we're not able to teach this gen, this next generation about what racism is, it's not going to stop. And there's an idea of, are we going to be the artist or the subject? Are we going to be the ones being painted by society about however they want to? Or are we going to be able to control how we want others to see us? So, yeah. Beautifully said, both of you. That was really cool. Um, well, I think that's about it. Thank you all so much for being on this again. Great conversation. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Perspective. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at perspective.pd to hear more about upcoming guests and episodes and series. Um, have a great week and we'll see you back next week.